Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the Ewang Bang podcast, everyday commentary by everyday people. Today I got a very special episode for you, a double movie review of the Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs and the American remake of it, The Departed. I'm joined in person by my very good friend, Dan Luddy, a.k.a. The Man Luddy. Welcome back to the podcast, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be invited back. Yeah, last week... I passed the audition. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, last we had Dan on, we reviewed the cult classic, The Room. Uh, On the phone, we have a staple member of the podcast, the the infamous Jeffrey Liu. How's it going, man? What's up, Wang Bangers? Good to be here. So I'm very excited about this movie review. Uh, My good friends Amy and Jesse had both suggested The Departed to be reviewed on this podcast. As a Hong Kong film fan, I thought it would be awesome to also review the original source material as well. Both movies tell a story of a cop undercover in the mob and a mob member undercover in the police force. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with these movies, I would highly recommend watching at least one of the one of the versions prior to listening to this podcast, as there are several spoilers that will be discussed. Our first review will be Infernal Affairs. But first, the title song from Tai Ching. Shishei Okay, so let's start this off with some of the cast members. The world-famous singer and actor Andy Lau play the role of Inspector Lau, who is the gang member undercover in the police force. Now, for those of you familiar with the, with the Departed, he plays the Matt Damon role. Tony Leung, whose performance many may remember from Lust Caution, plays Yan, who is the police member undercover within the Mafia, uh, who in, its, in essence would be the Leonardo DiCaprio of this film. These stars are flanked with Anthony Wong playing Chief Inspector Wong and Eric Tsang playing Mafia leader Sam Han. So with that out of the way... Um, Let's start with this, because, uh, Jeff, you and I both watched this movie back in 2002 when it came out. Uh, I, for one, have not watched it since. I I remember it being a very good movie, Um, probably watching it maybe once or twice that year. Uh, But since the past 15 years, I haven't seen it since. Um, What are your thoughts on the movie, re-watching it? Do you think it's it's a timeless classic, or has it changed for you? Well, for me, uh, I, I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is kind of the, uh, the film that got me back into the kind of romance that I had with, uh, Hong Kong movies to begin with. And I've watched it several times over the last 15 years or so. Um, I think it is timeless. I really think that the themes that are here 
kind of are transcendent. I mean, if we look at the film as a whole, it kind of has the elements of the old 90s cop and gangster films that are staple of HK movies. And if you look at it now, it still kind of feels very, very sort of futuristic. It's very glossy. Uh, you know, they do the very clean steel and glass backdrop of Hong Kong. Everything seems kind of high tech. And even though some of the technology has kind of fallen by the wayward, it, it still has that feel that it's kind of a techno thriller to a, to a certain extent because they're dealing with microchips. They're dealing with, uh, like electronic MacGuffins that are kind of thrown back and forth. They have sophisticated, uh, intelligence techniques such as the Morse code with the, uh, with the bugs and everything like that. So, at least on that end, I think that, yes, it, it really does stand the test of time. I think the performances are great. I think the musical selection is timeless as well. I mean, they, they chose to use some of the classic Cantonese songs that will never, well, kind of will never, ever fade away. And they kind of intersperse it with uh, just kind of an edgy soundtrack that keeps the entire film moving. So, yeah, over the course of the last 15 years, it's not – I've never ever sat down and watched this movie and just be like, wow, that uh, – you know, I shouldn't have watched it. You know, I shouldn't have watched it again. I should have just kept it at this uh, beautiful little bubble in my mind. Um, I would watch it again. I, I You know, even, even after reviewing it for this movie, I would still go back and watch it again. Yeah, I agree. And I think one thing that makes it timeless is actually the the fact that it has limited action. And, and the strange thing is that when you kind of research the movie or see some trailers, it, it's almost advertised as if it were an action movie. Um, but really, there's only some, you know, there's only some beatings and then one one gunfight that's really insignificant. I mean, there, there's nothing yeah, no, artistic no. about the action. So. You know, it's not the same thing as watching like a like an 80s or 90s American or Chinese action film and going back to it and be like, huh, you know, that, that was stupid. Like, you know, I can't believe that we enjoyed this back in the day. The, the, the movie's more about uh, more about like a cat and mouse sort of game with, you know, as you said, some spiritual themes attached to it. So you're right in terms of it being a timeless movie. I, I've gone back, you know, after watching it, I I nitpicked a couple of things, but overall I came out of it feeling the same way that. I mean, ultimately, the plot is a very basic plot, but, it, you know, it's a character-driven movie because you're invested in these people. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I, th I think of it more of as, like, a, a thriller than an action movie. Shut up, Dan. Oh, right. Nobody asked you yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Go on. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so this is probably my first Hong Kong movie that I've seen um, besides maybe some kung fu or so, other movies that are just solely action um with any sort of story or character development or anything so i i thought it was um definitely very enjoyable to watch and you could definitely see the suspense you could understand the the, the sort of um conflicts that these characters are having and how they develop through time so yeah no i definitely think it, it stands up yeah and i think uh one of the things that i, I was going to touch on later but i guess we could bring it up now is these characters are somewhat relatable even even though we're not necessarily undercover cops you know infiltrating the mob i i think you know it, speak for yourself yeah, hey <laughs> whoa whoa whoa, <laughs> whoa dad <laughs> hey we have a lot of listeners on this podcast all right you don't want you don't want to out yourself um, but I think, you know, there are certain, certain relatable aspects, I think, you, you know, just kind of how we live in our own torment. I mean, let, let me, let me cap that off. I, I think that, that, um, the, the type of characters that you have here, they're kind of just like, tra they're both kind of tragic anti-heroes, you know, they're both 
characteristics about them that are commendable, and then there are things about them that they wish they could change in their past. Uh, and I mean, this is kind of the thing that 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 aspect of them, that kind of like basic character layout of them, is what harkens it back to the old '80s and '90s Hong Kong films. If you look at all the Sui Hark and the all the old uh, John Woo movies with starring Chow Yun Fat and Tony Leung, you know, Tony Leung was was a big staple in those as well. I mean, it's that tragic hero mentality. It's like, can a bad person do good things? Can a good person do bad things? And where do you draw the line? And that's kind of what brings it, you know, brings it home for me. I mean, the world as it stands right now, it's not black and white. You walk into the workplace every day, it's not black and white anymore. It's kind of just all shades of gray. And, you know, it's not, again, it's not as high stakes as this movie is. But yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 fraught with the decisions that you have to make on kind of a daily basis and you know it it, it is relatable in that sense well thanks for uh thanks for saying uh what i want to say in much better words jeff lou you are <laughs> oh no, for, no forever the eloquent one <laughs> <laughs> well on the topic of the kind of the hong kong cinema uh, i wanted to ask dan since he had mentioned this is his first uh hong kong movie that he'd seen of, outside of you know the the chinese movies that have been imported over to the u.s uh, what are your thoughts on Hong Kong cinema? Uh, a, like I said, this is a film that has limited action and is focused more on character development, um, you know, certain scenes, story. How how'd you how do you think they did? Well, I I definitely got some of the elements that Jeff alluded to that you know he really enjoyed about the movies and about Hong Kong cinema, like the um, the sort of themes, the the music, the sort of techno thriller sort of technology that goes into it. So I, I definitely saw that, and I think it 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 holds up, uh, especially compared to American cinema of the same time period. If if it is dated, it's just as dated as anything from the early mm-hmm. aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the beginning of the movie, and we can kind of talk about that the the. the the essence of the you know different elements of the movie um, in greater detail, but I think the development of the characters at the beginning happened super quick. Yeah, um, it was just kind of like I, you could tell they were just going. They wanted to go straight to the action, straight to the, to the uh, you know suspenseful part. It would have been interesting to see more background of how these characters develop into the states that they they did, um, and I think that's something that. The Departed, kind of doing a second take on this, got a chance to go back and kind of like look at it in greater detail and develop some of the story in different areas. So I think that was one thing that I'd le- I would have liked to see more of. And then I would have been interested to see more of sort of the Hong Kong underworld. And, and maybe there was uh, some elements of it that I, I, as an outside viewer, didn't really pick up on or like some, some elements of the culture there that were kind of got glossed over with. Um, but it would have been interesting to see more about what is this sort of underground gang? Um, what is What are they like? You know, like the the initial scene is um, uh, the new recruits are brought to a, a Buddhist temple and mm-hmm. um, sort of pledge their allegiance to the mm-hmm. the, the uh, evil gangster. Um, but why a Buddhist temple? Like, what what does that mean to his to the gangster? What does that mean? You know, how does religion? How does how does that sort of impact um, their viewpoints? Um, so I think there's other questions that I would have had that you know, if they had more time, if they had flesh out the beginning maybe we've gotten more perspective but i think overall it was super suspenseful i think there are elements of it that were i think the suspense was heightened especially compared to the departed so mm-hmm. um yeah overall it was, it was really positive i yeah. love you dan letty <laughs> I, I fucking love you and just on all those points like seriously uh, dan i don't think you could have hit it on the head any better and i think that everybody who went into making Infernal Affairs kind of felt the same way, which is why they made Infernal Affairs 2. And 
we're not going to go into that um, on this, but Infernal Affairs 2 is like every like decision making gap that they made in Infernal Affairs, everything that they didn't really touch on in the first movie down to kind of like a spiritual exploration of why Sam wants um, to have the recruits in the Buddhist temple and everything like that. Every single one of those elements that you went through is explored in the second movie. So thank you. Cause <laughs> God damn, that felt like, like listening to you was just like, like, like you were preaching to the choir, at least on my end. Yeah. And I, I would like to get it. I actually just watched Infernal Affairs too, um, yesterday. And for for the listeners out there, I apologize for the digression, but there are some things in there that you're right. They do explore the character development, especially of the undercover cops uh, and the or both of the undercovers. Right. It it, it goes into, you know, uh, Sean Yu as the young Tony Leung, his development as the cop, as the undercover gangster and vice versa. Edison Chen as the young Andy Lau being the young mafia member undercover in the police force it does go into the character development okay. it does explain certain yeah. things uh it also explains really well why sam han and uh boss sam han and inspector wong hate each other because there's a lot there's a it does develop on kind of their past and how they betrayed each other before so right you you get a sense that there's a history there um right which, you know they kind of leave open-ended so, right yeah. right yeah there, there's more history than than just being a cop and being a gangster uh, let's put it that way. So, yeah, th- those are very good points. And going back to the beginning, I was taking notes during the movie, and uh, one of the things that came to my mind was like, dude, can Dan Luddy tell these Asians apart? Like, because because I, I remember the first time I watched Infernal Affairs, if you don't know the actors, if you don't know who Edison Chen and Sean Yu are, you can't oh, tell them. Oh, everybody knows who Edison Chen is. Everybody knows who Edison Chen is. I see that boy's dick so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the listeners out there, if you type in Edison Chen uh, photo scandal, you'll know what we're talking about. Um, that is not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of bush is all I gotta say. Um, so the uh, so yeah, in the beginning, everything happens really fast, and if you don't know the actors very well, you might get confused really quickly. Uh, I think. Um, just going off the subtitles, and it, since there, it was, you know, you have these younger actors playing them mm-hmm. at an early age, and then it, all of a sudden it switches to uh, Tony Leung and Andy Lau, like, really quickly. I, at first, I was a, uh, it took me a minute to kind of get the context of where these characters were, and then and then you pick up on it, but at first, just tracking which actor corresponds with who was a little... Yeah. With yeah. It, it, it probably, there was probably more audibly that was going on that you'd, you'd understand it but just based on the subtitles but i mean on i don't understand cantonese i understand cantonese so i was <laughs> yeah. reading subtitles just oh, like okay. you were but but the way that it, it was really confusing because it shows them growing up and then the moment they get old like they they're in the same room you know tony leung is selling andy lao a set of speakers so it's really it is really confusing um you know who's who you, you know what what their roles are but as the movie unfolds, you you can kind of figure it out. It's just it, it just happens all so fast in the beginning, in the first ten minutes, and they really do jump right into the action right away. I, I guess moving on from there, uh, the movie as a whole, I, what are, what are the real strong points of this movie? I, I mean, honestly, I like it, there's an absolutely artistic feel to this. Whoever you know, the um, Anth- oh god, it was An- is Andrew Lau, Andrew Lau who directed this movie absolutely had a vision 
for where he wanted to take it. He knew what he wanted Hong Kong to look like. He knew how he wanted the triad portrayed. He knew who he wanted to be kind of a sympathetic antagonist character in Andy Lau. I mean, it, every, I mean, Andy Lau has huge significance in kind of Hong Kong culture for being essentially a, you know, a charming dude. He's, he is like more so the George Clooney of Hong Kong cinema than like George Clooney is to American cinema. He, he's a darling in, in Hong Kong cinema and to put him in the antagonist role in this film was a premeditated move and it worked out beautifully. I mean, like, and Tony Leung, I mean, he, he's not as famous, but he still has like a huge, like lineage of great Chinese film that, you know, that precedes him. And when you got these two superstars and it, it points back to the scene where they first meet each other in um, the, uh, the stereo shop that Tony Leung is running, you get those two together and, you know, you just have them sit together and listen to classic Cantonese, like, you know, Mandarin songs together and just share that moment. And there's really no other purpose there um, than to just show that these two men are, you know, after everything else, after you peel all the layers away, they're just regular guys trying to live their life, you know, like in another universe, they could have been people who were friends who would share a drink together. And then they have to go and they have to, you know, leave that space and enter into a world that is frankly, like, you know, really beyond their control. I think that's so powerful. I think that's moving. And I think that goes to kind of the everyman concept that we were exploring at the beginning, because you feel as though, you know, like if, if you were forced into this sort of situation, you might have to make a choice. Um, like Tony Leung did, like Andrew, that like Andy Loud did in these movies. And, that character development, the subtleties and nuances in the relationships between the people, the different interactions be- between them, it's not ham-fisted at all. You really need to pay attention to what kind of everybody is doing, the dynamics between everything. You know, when, when, um, uh, for example, when they're in the tower scene and, um, Tony Leung is one of the only guys to get out. And he's driving with, you know, one of his other fellow gang members and he's driving and escaping away. And it becomes evident as the, as the, uh, as the escape continues that the other gang member knows that Tony Leung's a, a cop that he's been wired that, you know, that, that he, that he knows everything. And he's just kind of like, well, then why aren't you killing me? Because there's that sense of brotherhood that's this, there's that sense of kinship that's there and there's like that real agony that tony young you know goes through and you can kind of feel in his his facial expressions and the way that he reacts to you know one of his it, it's not it's not even just a gang member it's a fellow person somebody that he shared drinks with shared laughs with and that's depicted in the film in that way you feel real anguish there and in in andy Lau character i mean this is this is a guy who even though he's working for the mafia i mean he's receiving awards and commendations and this this and that i mean like he he wants to let go of this evil that's in his past so badly and it's it's palpable in the way, in the performance that he gives he wants to be a good person so bad if he can really just skate by if he could really just if the world could let him cheat on this one aspect of his life that he you know that was not clean then he might be a good person 
And, you know, it's that divide. It's that like depth of character and that, you know, actor experience that's brought forward by really powerful acting performances that, that really drove everything for me. So, I mean, like I have a very romantic notion towards this movie. I've, I've, I, I, there's, there's a very big place in it in, in my, Kind of like in in my cinematic vocabulary, I, I I refer a lot of like the stuff that I look now. I kind of hold it to the standard the Infernal Affairs set. Yeah, dude, we can see your boner from here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you get get that out of the way. I can't see the computer. Um, yeah, I I get to I get what you say about the character development. I I think for the most part the characters are developed well. The, even for the short amount of time this movie is, the movie's only an hour 40 versus The Departed, which is, I think, two and a half or something. Uh, the characters are developed well. Um, relationships, for the most part, are developed well. Uh, yeah, I except just, for one. Ex- well, no, I was going to say that the, the relationships with um, their their female counterparts uh, are kind of just kind of... I feel like they're thrown in there. Yeah, and yeah. And I would say the same argument for The Departed, Departed too. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, the romances yeah. are... are there's a lot left to be desired yeah. for the romances, and I think Asians don't do romance very well. <laughs> um, but I, I think among the uh, the main cast members, uh, among the men, among the um, among the triad members, and the and the police force, all the relationships are developed well. Dan, anything else? Well, uh, I, I I definitely would agree with Jeff on terms of the, I think the the main characters, Andy Lone and Tony Lung, were um, definitely you saw them moral conflict going on in their heads that this their relationships with the, the people around them and how they changed over the course of the movie i would think that the sam hong character it just he seemed a bit of a generic gangster to me maybe mm-hmm. because there wasn't enough it, back to that idea of like the backstory and the understanding of that person like it, i i i didn't get much in the way of um you know what is his perspective? Why is he? It's just you know I need the money and mm-hmm. going for the drugs and and the same like the Inspector Wong character, um, yeah, it was in some ways one side in the sense that he was just uh, driven to take down the bad guy, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know generally that's what you need in the sort of like commissioner character in all these mm-hmm. sorts of movies. But um, yeah, it would have been interesting to see a little bit more of mm-hmm. um, his perspective. So I guess what you're saying is in your eyes, like Sam Hong could have been like a Russian mobster drinking vodka. Like it, it's just like he, he was just almost like a stereotype that a stereotypical gangster that you like didn't know the backstory or kind of know the cultural yeah, implications or, or, or just, just any, any uh, gangster of, uh, all it, uh, he wanted, you know, he's in it for the profit. He's just like trying to set up these deals, and that's mm-hmm. kind of was his um, motivation. Motivation, yeah, yeah. So uh, it maybe this could have been a little bit more color, mm-hmm. I guess, to, to these characters. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Uh, okay, well, uh, on to the weak points of the movie. Um, there's def- definitely some nits I want to pick. Uh, the first one being the uh, <laughs> graphic. The, <laughs> the the first being the uh, the relationship between Tony Leung and uh, the psychiatrist. Um, the romance that was built up over the movie, which I mean, they only have in the version that we saw, they they only have two scenes together, right? The first one where he just sleeps on her couch and she plays solitaire, and then it's revealed he's been going to her for three months, and all he does is just sleep on the couch. Um, the fact that they blossom that into a full-on relationship that the night before he dies he like sleeps with her and they 
essentially tell each other they love each other is absolutely ridiculous to me. <laughs> so I, I don't know if anybody has anything to add to that, but I, I watched it. And I was like, God damn it! Like the the fact that like that in Asian films the, these these romances just blossom in this way, like. Like, with, with no context at all. I mean, dude, if girls watch me sleep, like, all the time and they fell in love with me, dude, I'd be like... <laughs> it's a solitaire. They're not uh, that, solitaire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it was just one of those you things... You don't, you, don't, you don't got the tools, man. You got to bring that laptop around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But, yeah, I mean, just... It, it was almost something that they didn't need to have. And they the only reason why they had her in there was just so she would know that he was the undercover cop. And then... Six months later, after, you know, after uh, Tony Leung's character is killed, he magically finds some files, and they're like, oh, I guess he's an undercover cop. Let's throw him a big funeral. Like, that whole ending was just so, like, was just thrown together. And and the fact that it, it tied that psychiatrist into it just made it more, that much more bizarre, that, like, they forced this this character into the movie and then forced some, like, significant plot point on her when they really could have done it differently. I mean, on that note, I, I'll say this. In, Internal Affairs, for as good as it is, is an incomplete movie. Uh, it needs to be watched with Infernal Affairs 2. And the third sequel needs to be completely ignored because that thing was trash. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So here's a question. I, I mean, for... I, I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. I'll, I'll wait till you're done. All right. No, no, no. I mean, that, I, that's basically it. You, ha- you have to consider the two as one and the other. It's like you can't watch the Lord of the Rings just a single volume at a time. You have to watch the entire the entire trilogy and then kind of take it as as that way. This is not Star Wars. You can't just watch, you know, the first of the original trilogy and kind of be satisfied by that. There's no beautiful conclusion to this. And like there's a lot you know, there's no questions that you don't necessarily need answered at the end of the film. There's a lot of open-ended questions there, and that's addressed in the second film. So, yes. The, the psychiatrist I, I, is not – I mean, she's not addressed in the second film. She's just uh, – to, 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 I mean, I'm not just talking about the psychiatrist, but I'm also talking about the relationships with Mary in general, like Andy Andy Lau's whole relationship with his girlfriend um, slash fiance slash wife throughout the course of this film, there's a psychological motivation behind why he wants to do that sort of thing, which makes his character deeper to me after I watched the second film. But it was, it just wasn't sufficiently explored in this one. So yes, there are definitely gaps in here. And, and you know, I, I will be the first one to admit. So what I just thought of, and I've, was going to jump in with is um i'm wondering what you guys think would this have worked how would this have worked if it was sort of like a like a netflix miniseries of like mm. six mm. or eight episodes mm. instead of two movies yeah that it, it would have I'd been a lot that yeah yeah it would, it would have been <laughs> awesome it would have been a good like eight eight episode eight episode uh miniseries um yeah um uh, but that being said i don't like the idea of a miniseries bridging, you know, fifteen years of of uh, characters. Um, okay. I, I think I in terms of the storytelling from Infernal Affairs two and Infernal Affairs one, they should be completely separate. Okay. But Infernal Affairs one could have been an eight part uh, miniseries, uh, an eight part miniseries mm-hmm. with some flashbacks, but they could have really, you know, in this case, and, uh, and, developed. I mean, Go ahead. 
Uh, to that to that point, it needs to be a limited series. This can't be one of those Prison Break style like uh, that like, series that just like goes on and on and on and like <laughs> oh wait they're in another prison like oh you know you finished in, in you know infiltrating the hong kong bureau now we need you to infiltrate the world you know yeah. like that, that, that sh- yeah there's a mole amongst the moles amongst <laughs> like, the moles <laughs> moles within the moles uh, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, that, I mean, that would be my thing. It would need, like, it would necessarily need to be something like the way the British, uh, British do their series. It'd be eight episodes clean, and then that's the that's the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, definitely could have could have uh, would have benefited from a from a longer series, but you know, in, in, I think in Hong Kong or in Asia in general, a series is either twenty four episodes or it's just. A movie. 600. <laughs> yeah, or it could be 600. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but you never really have a miniseries. And especially when they were making this movie, I'm oh, sure they didn't. U.S. shows didn't even have it at that point. Yeah. They had, like, Friends with, like, 26 episodes a season. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk about the iconic uh, elevator scene. Uh, or actually, uh, let's go back. Let's go back to the rooftop, because that's another uh, nit I need to pick. Uh so Tony Leung, in the famous rooftop scene, right before Inspector Wong gets killed, Tony Leung and Inspector Wong are up there. Tony Leung gets the phone call saying, oh, we found the rat, meet us at this location. And Inspector Wong's like, uh-oh, like, we need to separate. Tony, why don't you ride the the window-washing rig all the way down and pretend like you're just getting to, uh, just getting to the to the scene so you can, you know, Pretend like you're one of the gangsters and not reveal that you're the mole. Um, couldn't they both have gotten on the window washing rig and just ridden it down? Because if somebody saw Tony Leung on the window washing rig, would they be like, what are you doing on the window washing rig coming down from the 24th floor? Dude, man, this gangster this gangster gig isn't giving me enough money. I have to take jobs on the side. Hustle's real, man. You know, like I I just happened to be at the building at the same time. I have washing windows. <laughs> also, and- I'm driving a, I'm driving – I'm driving an Uber after this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's one of those scenes that's like, it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's like supposed to be the the most shocking part of the film where like... Sorry, I mean, I, I think this actually harkens back to Sam Sam's relationship with Inspector Wong. I think for as combative as that relationship is, there was over, always an understanding that they wouldn't kill each other. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like a Batman and Joker. Like, you are my nemesis. I don't want to deal with the next guy who comes along because he may not have the same understanding that you and I do. If you catch me, you can catch me legit. And if I catch you, you know, I might beat you up, but that's kind of the end of it. But I feel as though some of the gangsters took the... And that's kind of the relationship that I felt after, you know, they they did the initial kind of like... Uh, confrontation in the police station where uh, there's a whole bunch of police and a whole bunch of Sam's gang members available, that there was a mutual respect there. There was a history there. There was an understanding, you know, like it, it, it is what it is. You know, this is just business. I think when the inspector was thrown off the uh, tower, it was a surprise to kind of everybody because that meant the dynamic had changed. The status quo was over and then that things needed to start moving very quickly for everybody that was involved. And uh, I, I think that's where the shock came from. It wasn't necessarily just that um, 
that Inspector Wong's character died. It was that it was this is the final betrayal. You know, this is this is where we're moving towards the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a level of Inspector Wong thinking that you know I'm I'm not afraid of these guys. I'm going to stand up to them. I'm not going to hide from them. Yeah, yeah, I guess so because he kind of arrogantly just puts on his sunglasses and says, "I got this. I'll wait at the elevator for him." And he's just such a cool dude. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I I guess you're you're right. I mean, it, maybe it wasn't as uh, like like kind of looking at it from hindsight. You're like, okay, he died. There's so many things that you know they could have done to get yeah. around this, but. The reality was they probably didn't think that this was going to happen. So yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a calculated risk, and you know, you know, Inspector Wong was just really bad at math that day. <laughs> <laughs> An Asian bad at math? Come on, they wouldn't make a movie Is that like that. Up? Is that <laughs> they, <fucked up? laughs> they would not allow a movie like that to be made in China. All right. <laughs> um, and on that topic, on the topic of movies being made in China, uh, th- this is something interesting. Uh, the original version, the, the first time I saw Infernal Affairs, I saw a different ending. And what happens is after the, uh, the elevator sequence where, you know, Tony Leung gets shot in the head uh, and Andy Lau shoots the, uh, the other undercover gangster, um, Andy Lau comes out of the elevator and he gets arrested. And it's basically implied that I, I think his girlfriend had turned him in or they had found some other evidence that that basically was incriminating. Um, in, in this version, uh, you know, it, you know, Andy Lau basically, you know, suffers for his crimes and he doesn't get away with it. So to my understanding is there was a, a point in time in China where you could not release movies where the bad guy got the bad away. Guy gets away. Right. Exactly. Right. So for the longest time I was, I was confused because whenever I talked about this movie, they're like, they're like, yeah, he got away with it. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, he got arrested. And then finally, like, you know, like six months after watching it for the first time, I, somebody showed me the other version where he comes out and hang, holds up his badge and says, I'm a cop. You know, the, you know, this is what happened. You know, I'm, I'm not responsible for any of this. Blah, blah, blah. And he gets right. away with it, which basically sets up, you know, Infernal Affairs uh, 3, which is which is a, in, yeah. in the timeline. It's a sequel to this. But, but but it's also it, it's also a reflection of like what this story was intended to be, you know, like right. that was Andrew Liao's original vision. But mm-hmm. in, any, in any case, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, which takes me to which ending was better, right? Did, did it make sense that Andy Lau got arrested and went to jail for his crimes, or is it a better ending if he holds up his badge and gets away with it? It's. I'm it's a... <laughs> <laughs> is it? It was interesting to me, like Emil, when you were you were telling me that that there's these two different endings, and depending on the audience and, mm-hmm. and what they go for, and um, because the Departed as well has somewhat of a different ending, mm-hmm. and eventually the, the Matt Damon character gets his comeuppance and you know Universal mm-hmm. Karma, which is I think intended for the American audience too, right? Which, right. You know, uh, I guess when I was thinking about it, um, I was wondering what it would be like if it was uh, say like a like a British movie, because I feel like the, a lot of times they're a lot more pessimistic in their mm-hmm. in their cinema, and so you'd have this sort of or like you know it, it, the police don't get the bad guy at the end, and then you have this like character with this sort of internal moral mm-hmm. conflict just eating away at him. Yeah, um, you know, I I kind of I found that ending to be interesting and mm-hmm. to like you know it, it it leaves you a little bit unsettled, but it's it's also more like um, 
it makes you think more mm-hmm. than like, oh, good, they got him. You know, yeah. like, so yeah. it, it depends if you want it all wrapped up in a neat little bow or if you want, like, you know, sort of a messy mm-hmm. worldview. Right, right. If you, if you want to leave thinking, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it's interesting. I think now that I'm older, like, I can appreciate the the actual ending, right? When I was younger, I was like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would, why could he, how could he get away? Like, arrest his ass, you know? But fuck Chinese censorship. Fuck Chinese censorship. <laughs> I, fuck that shit, dude. Yeah. It, I, God, I, every time I see it, I mean, seriously, as of late, as of the HK handover too, like which is addressed in IA two, where uh, where where kind of like Chinese censors started getting a hold of everything, and you know the culture in Hong Kong started changing and everything like that, becoming more mainland Chinese. And everything like that. I mean, like, give me a fucking break, dude. You know, like, not everything is going to be wrapped up like that. But, and, you know, I hate to fucking bring this up, but, like, the whole law and order shit, like, uh, oh, yeah, we're always going to catch the criminal. I mean, that doesn't fucking happen. This is a goddamn, like, an NBC 8 o'clock special. This isn't fucking CSI, NCIS, any of that bullshit, you know? Like, the 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 bad guy gets away. You can't zoom in on the fucking DNA that much and, like, all of a sudden the shit's gonna get solved or anything like that. I, I mean, I saw both because in the DVD version that I got um, of Infernal Affairs, they had the alternate ending as well. And I just think that once you take away a director's artistic license, I you know, I am all for... Uh, you know, some producers getting your hands on it, getting a separate view on certain things. But once you take away something, once you take away like some of the, the, like, uh, the undertones that a movie is trying to get at there, um, and, and you, you kind of take away the movie's integrity. So I am all for Andrew Lau's original interpretation of this where you know, Andy Lau gets his clean slate, you know, he, he's about to get turned in. He willingly turned himself in the Tony Leung and this, this and that. And, you know, fate stepped in, Tony Leung died and he, you know, Andy Lau gets to explore his world as a good guy to see whether or not he actually is a good guy, whether or not he can live with being somewhat responsible for Tony Leung's death. Was he redeemed because he killed the mole that killed Tony Leung? Or was he just trying to cover his ass? You know, like what, what justifies his redemption? It does he, does he deserve to be redeemed in this case? There's so many underlying layers there. This isn't an action movie. This isn't something where there's a clear cut bad guy. This is something that leaves you uncomfortable at the end. And it should, it, it should garner some thought as to what decisions a person makes when they're pushed up against it and whether or not you can justify those in the end. So in my opinion, the, the version that I watched was always better version. And then the one that was like manufactured for Chinese audiences can go fuck itself. <laughs> well, good thing Chinese, Chinese people will never hear this podcast because we're censored in China also. So they, they didn't like the title. Wang Bang was too, uh, too obnoxious for them. Um, so on the topic of suffering, I, I I think this kind of takes us full circle to the to the title itself, Infernal Affairs. Um, so yeah, when I when I first saw this, I was like, Infernal Affairs. That's a that's a stupid typo. Like, but in in reality, it it is a pun. It is a pun on internal affairs, but also it's to kind of include the element or the idea of hell, right? So Infernal Affairs is where it, is where the name comes from. 
the Chinese name is uh, Wu Jiandao, and Jeff, I, I think you looked up what what that is. Yeah. Uh, so Wu Jiandao essentially refers to the unceasing path, which is the lowest level of hell in Buddhism. I didn't know that. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I'm not that deep, but um, uh, it, it kind of has to do with the themes of suffering. It kind of has to do with the kind of uh, situations that both characters are thrown in in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, and there are there are a lot of thematic elements to this movie. A lot more than what what The Departed ended up being. So it de- definitely can appreciate that about this movie a lot more. All right, we'll take a short break and then uh, we'll get into The Departed. Shishi 